Do you ever feel like the whole world has gone insane? Yeah, you're not alone. I feel that way. In fact, the majority of people feel that way. The truth is, we were all sold this great lie that being part of a silent majority was something we should be proud of. Being a silent majority allowed a very loud, angry group of people to control everything. And problem there is, that small group of people, they're communists. I say that myself as someone who's the son of a Cuban refugee who had to flee communism. I know the reality of how important the American dream is. I know how quickly we can lose freedom. And that's why this is our last stand. I'm your host, Robbie Starbuck, and I'm going to be diving deep on the issues and people that matter so that together we can save the American dream and once again become a loud majority that steers the direction of this country. If you're with me and you want to spread truth and wake up the masses, you're in the right place. Together, one piece of truth at a time, we can save America. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining today. Uh, We got uh, a crazy show. Uh, First story. Actually, this was not planned. This just came to me moments ago, and I scrambled to get everything up so you guys could see this. Um, I want to show you a photo first of this, this beautiful young lady. And we'll get into the story here. So this is the young lady we're going to be talking about. And this is her story. Duke University is refusing a kidney transplant to this dying young girl because they're refusing the COVID vaccine. Okay. Um, As many of you know, we dealt with a situation similar to this earlier this year with baby August and the heart transplant. I want to read you this story. It's from the National File. I'm going to be reading straight off my phone because this story, it just got to me just now. And I'm going to be doing everything I can to help this family um, like we did in baby August case because um, this is un-American. It shouldn't be a partisan thing to say that you have to save a child, period. That, that no vaccine, no, no anything matters more than saving a child's life, period. And there's no excuse for this. So let's dive into the story here. Two parents, two Christian parents, Chrissy and Lee Hicks, both North Carolina Army veterans. So again, these are people who served our country, who were slapping in the face. They have 11 children, including a 14-year-old girl, Yulia, who is a rescued orphan from Ukraine. So again, this is the people who are the salt of the earth, you know, people who served our country, went and got an orphan from another country and have been loving parents to them. And this poor young girl, um, she's been shuttled all around the country, transferred between caretakers several times, and is finally adopted by the Hicks, who feel a great sense of determination and duty to give their daughter stability and justice in her life. Despite coming this far, Yulia is now being denied a critical organ transplant due to her vaccination status. Her health is slipping due to a genetic kidney disorder. The Hicks family has sought help and had been embraced and encouraged by the Durham Duke medical staff for being serious minded about all of the options being given to them and following all medical procedures and getting Yulia closer to the transplant process. Okay. But on November 29th, something went wrong for the family. To think that a committee can determine someone's life is terrifying. This, without a doubt, is medical tyranny. What has become of the medical community? How does a refusal of a shot that's known to cause health, that has caused health issues, undeniably, I mean, nobody can deny that, that there have been health issues that have been caused principally by it, and that has happened in children. No one can deny that. That is the truth. You can go to open bears and see all the cases. And 
you know, doesn't even stop the transmission. That's been admitted by everybody now. I mean, we used to get banned for this sort of thing. Being able to say this now is in itself kind of a blessing. But, you know, this is the truth. So this family is is just in an awful place. They're sad and they're dealing with Duke. Um, and, you know, there's just no excuse for this in America. There is no excuse for medical providers denying the very and to choose to literally kill a child in service of the vaccine. This is embarrassing. This is them at the altar of Big Pharma. They're turning this into a religious cult. It has to stop. This is a child's life hanging in the balance. So we're going to follow this story up with many ways you can help. So just stay posted on, on all my social media pages and you will get information on how you can be a voice for Yulia and her family because we're not going to let the story go. It is one that we've got to fight for and make sure that Yulia's life is saved because anything less than that, that, that puts us on footing with, with communist countries. It puts us on footing with the type of detestable, grotesque things that we're seeing all over the world, like the story we covered yesterday in Canada where they offered to kill a soldier of theirs because it was taking too long to get a mobility device to them. So they said, hey, if you would prefer, we could just help kill you. Um, this is the type of evil that this puts us on footing with if we cannot save the life of a child. So that was not a planned thing to cover today. Popped up and it felt important enough to put his first story um, so let's dive into some some news. Michael Avenatti, if you don't remember him, um, the disgraced lawyer who represented Stormy Daniels, he was sentenced to 14 years in prison and ordered to pay $11 million yesterday as part of, this is additional, in addition to the years in prison he already got. So this is part of his fraud scheme where he defrauded or blackmailed Nike. And um, this guy was just a total scumbag. But the, the thing that you want to see here, I want to play a video for you guys. I want everybody to remember how the Democrats treated Michael Avenatti, okay? This guy was their hero. Michael Avenatti is laying down the law as guest co-host. And is he really thinking about running for president? Uh, one reason why I'm taking you seriously as a contender is because of your presence on cable news. You look at the field of Democrats right now and Avenatti's the one who stands out. If they decide they value a fighter most, yes. people would be foolish to underestimate Michael Avenatti. I have always said that they need a fighter. Look, I mean, we're going to continue to use the media. I think we've used it with great success. My sexual fantasies involve handcuffs. Uh -huh. There you go. The Democrats treated this guy like he was just this savior for them. Okay. And it says a lot about them that the guy that they fell in love with is this disgraced, horrific man who was a fraudster and is now in prison. And it's extra hilarious because the whole cult built around him was that he was going to be the one that got Donald Trump put away in prison. And in the end, actually, he's in prison and will be there for a very, very, very long time. And they they were really floating his name to be president. I mean, CNN was talking about him being president. The View was talking about him being president. Okay. Total lunacy. So uh, before we go on, we've got crazy stories to share with y'all. But if you guys can go ahead and share the show today, go ahead and share it on your social media so that we wake up other people and spread the truth all over the place as far and wide as we can. That helps a ton. Um, and drop it into groups that you're a part of too. 
that discovery process is part of the growth here. So um, first story that I want to jump into after that is this um, racist sharks. Okay, racist sharks. Researchers say Discovery's programming overwhelmingly featured white men as experts while emphasizing negative messages about sharks. Imagine that. They emphasize negative messages about an animal that literally eats human beings. Maybe that makes sense. Maybe you should talk about the negative side of sharks. I mean, it's like, what, what positive attributes are we supposed to be highlighting here with sharks? Like they are ferocious alpha predators in the ocean who will rip you apart and eat you alive. What positive, like, are they doing a knitting club we don't know about? Did they walk grandmas across the street? I don't know what positive angle we're missing on sharks, but this is crazy. And, you know, they say, hold on, I got to pull the headline back up. Researchers say, Discovery Channel, <laughs> the researchers say part is what gets me. We just talked about this yesterday, how we have so overemphasized the, the place of experts and researchers and all that in society, you know, the, the, this, this pedestal we've put them up on. I mean, this is lunacy. You know what I say? I'm a researcher now, okay? Researchers say that researchers have too much time on their hands, okay? Because if you're looking into how many people of a certain skin color appear on Shark Week, you are a lunatic. You're a lunatic and you have too much time on your hands. And if you're then breaking it down further into whether or not the coverage of the sharks is positive or negative, in terms of how the sharks might feel, you know, are we, are we presenting their good side enough? You're not just a lunatic. You honestly need help. You need, you need a straight jacket. You need help. You know, I'm, I'm very, people hear me rail on big farmer all the time, but you probably need to be medicated. Uh, I'm just, I'm being honest. Yeah. That's just my opinion. You know, feel free to disagree, but that's, I just, I couldn't believe this story. I thought it was the onion or one of those satire parody sites, but that is a real story in the Washington post. Okay. Just let that sink in. All right, let that sink in. So we'll dive in. Um, next thing, I just wanted to bring this up. Um, two things I want to bring up for clarity. President Biden on Tuesday said he would not visit the southern border during his trip to Arizona, despite the ongoing migration crisis. Okay, so I just want to point out, I have been to the border more times than the president of the United States in his entire life. Joe Biden has not gone down to the border, okay? As president, he has not gone at all. Kamala Harris has never gone, okay? She did this little fake trip down there where she didn't really go to the border, okay? They have not gone and visited the real thing. They have not seen the destruction wrought upon the people who live at the border. And once you go and you see it, it's a whole different deal. I mean, a whole different deal, okay? It's not what, what a lot of people expect. There's no order to it. It is chaos, okay? Uh, and to be perfectly honest with you, it looks like they're being invited in many ways. I mean, we even have little baggies at many spots at the border. You'll see these little DHS baggies where people can put their stuff in, okay? It's like uh, we might as well roll out welcome mats, and then we have buses who will take them to airports even, okay? So this is one of the things I saw last time we went to the border is – they fill up this bus, they process these people, and then the people from the processing center, when they get released, they even send these people across the country. We interacted with these people at the airport. We saw TSA, let them right through, no ID, nothing, 
and they go right on a plane. They get spread out all across the country. And I've told this story before. You know, many of us in the group were able to communicate with the the people, um, even though a lot of them didn't speak English. And we asked if we could see, you know, their uh, their tickets, see where they were going, and they were all happy to to oblige. You know, um, none of them were, you know, even the slightest bit trepidatious about it. So they let us see every single ticket that we looked at was going to a red state. And that's just, you know, I can't extrapolate from that, that that's the case across the entire U.S., that, that, that this is what they're doing on a daily basis. But I can say that in our experience seeing that, it was pretty jarring to see that every single one was going to a red state. Um, you know, but I will say, you know, Democrats may grow to regret this whole deal one day because Latinos are overwhelmingly conservative. They're largely pro-life, you know, very Catholic, very Christian, hardworking, care about family. And when you divorce Democrat policy and, you know, complacentness when it comes to every issue that has to do with safety and sovereignty, when you put all this stuff away with the Democrats and you just focus on those those issues of family, faith, freedom and so on, when when these people wake up, if the Democrats ever do give them voting rights, which we have to fight tooth and nail on principle, because you can't allow this. You can't allow your country to be treated as a doormat for the world, OK, to just step all over and have your laws abused. But the Democrats may regret this one day because if they turn these people into voters somehow, you know, and they pull that off, these people will eventually become majority Republican voters. I have no doubt about that just because of the value set uh, in terms of, of family and faith. So, you know, I mean, the story there is insane. But another insane story I want to bring back up. You guys may remember this. This was back from when President Trump um, was was running and everything, and they were running against Joe Biden. And this story came out about Hunter Biden's laptop, right? It gets censored everywhere. And what happens? Uh, they need backup. All these social media sites need backup. The big tech people need backup. So what happens? 50 plus former intelligence officials write a letter uh, essentially casting the Hunter Biden laptop as Russian disinformation. So it wasn't just that it wasn't just that they were trying to cast, you know, aspersions on it as if like, oh, Russians are pushing this to affect the election. They were actually pushing the idea that you couldn't trust any of this. It was probably fake. And so I want to go ahead and highlight those people real quick, because here's the deal. It is absolutely fair to wonder if this was an intentional psychological operation run on the American people in order to flip a presidential election. It is fair to wonder that because these are 50 plus people who are trained in how to carry out psychological operations. So I want you to take a look at this list. OK, um, we've got Jim Clapper, former uh, director of national intelligence, Mike Hayden, former CIA director, NSA director, Leon Panetta, former secretary of defense and CIA director, John Brennan, former CIA director. List goes on and on. CIA, DIA, you, you know, you get the picture here. NIO, NSA, CIA briefer to the president, national security executive, um, and I said, it goes on and on. I mean, you see all these NIC chair, you know, nine IC officers who they wouldn't publicly name, they say for their safety. CIA is obviously very, very present in this. Um, and I think that people should be very curious about this, about these 50 plus people and what they were up to before the election, during the election and after the election, because I'd be willing to bet that they were up to some really nefarious stuff, okay? This letter 
we now know today is entirely false. And it sure looks like the makings of a psychological operation. I mean, I don't know how you look at it and see it any other way. This is what they're trained to do. And it worked. You know, they did a, a number of polls after the election 2020 and said to Democrats, would it have changed your vote? And to independents, would it have changed your vote if you knew about all this stuff on the Hunter Biden laptop? If you knew about, you know, the 10% for the big guy, if you knew about all of the business deals being done that are essentially trading on the title of vice president and then future president. Um, and the numbers were stark. It showed that not only would it have affected the election, it would have been a landslide for Trump, no matter what they had pulled. Okay. No matter what they had pulled, because there were so many voters who would have been swayed by it and seen it as so corrupt that they couldn't have voted for them or would have stayed home and not voted at all. And so, you know, there's no question what they did had a real effect because it helped give the media cover and give big tech cover to not cover the Hunter Biden laptop story. Um, next thing I want to jump into here is uh, we're going to get back into a video here. I just want to give everybody inspiration as often as I can. And I saw this video today and I felt like it's a good reminder everybody needs because, um, you know, I think too often people discount their ability to be a change maker and discount the possibility that God may want to use them for something special. And so I just want to give everybody this reminder real quick. Abraham was a liar. Noah, an alcoholic. Job doubted God several times. Samson was promiscuous. David was a hoe and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Peter was embarrassed to let folk know he knew Jesus. Rahab, prostitute. The disciples often were weak, jealous of each other, and even fell asleep on Jesus the night he was arrested. The Samaritan woman couldn't even keep her husband, and Moses had anxiety. So, what's so bad that you've done that God can't use you? So what's so bad that you've done that God can't use you? Now, I would have used maybe different language than him, but the point came across, you know, that the Bible is filled with flawed men and flawed women and God using them. And I just like to remind people that you're not too small or, you know, too broken for God to use you. And I just, I, I wanted to fit that, that in today. Next story up is an important one because this shows courage. I want to show you a courageous person, and then we'll talk about it after. So let me bring this up. Um, well, first of all, I didn't know you guys were protesting. Um, I worked for the company for seven years, um, and when the scandal came about, I was stalled and disgusted, and I quit on the spot. And this is for all the celebrities out there. You guys have a voice. You guys make millions off of companies. I'm a single mother with a sole income, and if I was able to take a stand for our children, you can too. And for Balenciaga and Cedric and Demo Vazalia, you guys know what you guys are into. I looked into your guys' history, and it's a rabbit hole. Whoever's there for our children and want to save our children, start searching it and get your word out. Because I'm telling you, this is a spiritual fight between good and evil. And if we don't step up now, guess who's winning? We are not here to lose. We are here to win. Balenciaga? This is just the beginning. You have YSL, you have Gucci, you have McQueen, you have Bottega, and the list goes on of the Caring Group. Caring Group is a cult. Look it up. 
So I just want to applaud this woman. She's an employee of Balenciaga. She quit over the ad campaign that just came out. She went out and protested Balenciaga. And this is a single mother who relies on that one income to make ends meet. And she's trusting that, you know, she's going to be able to make those ends meet and that, you know, opportunities will present themselves. But she stood up when it was hard to stand up and she did the right thing. And so, you know, I've reached out to somebody who I think knows her and have asked them if they can connect us. We want to try to see if there's stuff that, you know, we can get our audience to, to help and, and see if anybody in our audience maybe has a job opening or something like that to fill that gap. Because when people stand up, we need to help raise them up. We need to help make sure that we fill those gaps and that we empower strong, good people who are righteous and doing the right thing. And so uh, we'll continue to follow that story. I mean, that's one of the things I think is, is special about what we're doing here with the live show is that we're going to follow these stories. We're not just going to be one of those fly by the seat of your pants. Here's the hot take. Here's the hot news. And that's it. We're going to follow stuff, let it develop, see how we can continue to make change through people and through stories and, you know, goings on throughout the world. So, you know, that's the case with this story and also with the kidney transplant over at Duke and that situation. Now I need to make you guys laugh, okay? Everybody ready to laugh? We're going to watch a clip and we're going to laugh, okay? You guys ready? Some news there. You are essentially telling us that you would consider getting into the 2024 race. Absolutely. I, I think I think to be a presidential candidate, you can't simply say, I support the Constitution. You have to say... I would oppose people who would undercut it. You know, we used to have a thing in the House of Representatives called the House Un-American Affairs Committee. I think when you challenge the Constitution itself the way Trump has done, that is un-American. Let's stay here for a moment. Just walk me through your thinking. What does your timeline look like? What would cause you to cross into saying what you're saying now and actually being a declared candidate for president? Look, all of the potential candidates know what Trump has said. This is no secret to anybody. I don't see why they aren't saying it right now. I, I think the, the voters, the Republican voters, people who choose the Republican nominee, nearly 95 percent disagree that Donald Trump is more important than the Constitution. I'm afraid there are some who would stick with Trump on this. What does a candidate have to lose by appealing to 95 percent of the base of the Republican Party? I actually think most Republican elected officials in Washington disagree with Trump mm -hmm. on this, but they're intimidated. This is the time where there's strength in numbers. The more people who tell the truth, the easier it is for everybody else. So what do you have to see that would make you say now is the moment that I am going to declare my candidacy? I'd like to see Sherman-esque statements from all the potential candidates. If I don't see that, then I'm going to seriously consider getting in. And what is your timeline, Ambassador Bolton? Well, I think it's going to have to be pretty short. We've already got one declared candidate for president in the Republican Party who doesn't believe. I, I can't I can't even let it finish. This is not a Saturday Night Live skit. OK, that was really John Bolton. And that was really somebody who purports to be a journalist at NBC taking seriously the idea of John Bolton running for president. I laughed until I cried when somebody told me he was considering running for president. OK, John Bolton is a warmonger who belongs in the big house, not the White House. OK, the man is. And I don't use the term, you know, war criminal. Like, I don't throw that around. He is a genuine warmonger. The man is a lunatic. 
and belongs nowhere near the White House. In fact, this was one of the, when Trump was president, you know, I was always fair. I criticized the things that I really had an issue with, but I was always, you know, I praised everything and I was a big supporter of the president. He, Bolton was one of the big things that I pushed back against. When Bolton was hired, I said, this is a big mistake. Bolton is going to knife Trump in the back. He is a horrible person. He is going to try to push us into war at every front. And what did he do? He tried to push the administration into war at every front, and he stabbed Trump in the back. The man has no loyalty to anything except for defense contractors and war, period. Okay. Um, the idea that he could be elected president is just hilarious. So here's the thing, though. I want him to run. Him to go and get that FEC paperwork filed, start a run for president. I want him in the debates solely because I want him to be emasculated in front of the entire nation. I want everybody, whoever's on stage, I want everybody to just go at John Bolton for the entirety of the first debate. And we can have the real debate in the second one when we get rid of Bolton. But in the first debate, I think everybody should just, it should be a Bolton, you know, uh, Bolton roast, basically. I mean, the man, that's the least he deserves is to be torn apart on stage by all the other candidates, um, whoever they end up being. Because this guy, I don't think you can find a worse person to run for president on the Republican side than John Bolton. I hate even calling him a Republican because the number of things that John Bolton and I have in common are about zero. And so I, I'm not sure exactly what he's conserving or what he's conservative about. Um, all I know is the man loves war. He loves war, would like to send more of our young boys and girls to die in some third world country where we have no business being to fight a war that has nothing to do with us for whatever reason that brings him more profit, apparently. And I'll never be okay with that. These warmongers, they will never stop until they are put up on that stage. And even then they'll never stop. But I mean, this, this will at least give them pause to their public personas to have him go on stage and have him be torn to shreds by President Trump, by whoever else ends up in the race, because that's what they deserve is to see how do people really feel about, about these warmongers. And I think you do that in front of an audience, they'll find out very quickly that they're not very popular. Okay. Um, and spe speaking of not popular, um, let me play a clip for you guys. This is another one from MSNBC. We, we got this clip so you don't have to watch these lunatics. Um, here we go. This, before I play this for you, this woman, she's a congresswoman. She was just elected into House leadership by the Democrats. So this is somebody they consider the best that they have, okay? Let's go to the clip. But they've also given us a model to become our own leaders. And let me tell you what it means to, to me coming in as a different generation. I remember my middle child waking up with nightmares over concern around climate change. She remembers her child waking up with nightmares because of fears of climate change. Now, call me old fashioned, but I call that bad parenting. If you're giving your kid nightmares, you're inducing nightmares in your child for them to wake up in the middle of the night in existential fear that the world around them is going to collapse into itself because of climate change and everything's gonna burn alive. You were the problem. You were a psychopath and you have put this on your child. That's not something to be proud of. And that's what's so sick. She goes on TV. She looks proud of it. 
She looks like she's like beaming with pride that her kid woke up in the middle of the night terrified over climate change. Again, here's the thing, the nuance that they always miss, and they do this intentionally, I shouldn't even use the word miss. They intentionally misrepresent how Republicans feel about climate change, okay? Here's the reality. None of us deny climate change exists, okay? Guess what? It has existed forever. The climate has always changed. We are rational, common sense-based people. We don't deny that it happens. You know, these are the people on the left who change their wording every few years to suit whatever policy goal they want. That's why we went from, oh, fears of an ice age to fears of global warming to now climate change. Because climate change, let's face it, it's safer because if it gets hotter, you're not wrong. If it gets colder, you're not wrong. And that's why they needed the term climate change because global warming wasn't working out when things got colder. So they had to be able to lean on something that would give them the ability to feign that they're, they're correct, whether it got hotter or colder. And so you know, this climate crisis that they're they're convincing their kids to have nightmares over is something that has existed forever for the totality of human history. And we are not at the hottest point, not even close in the existence of life on Earth. This is a natural, you know, uh, process. This is a natural process that has occurred forever. And it's something that we should not be scaring children into nightmares about. You want to know the real conversation that gets avoided, too, which is really sad um, the conversation that we end up losing because of this propaganda and alarmism over climate change is one that, that that gets to the point of what we do agree on. And that should be, at least I hope we still agree on this, it should be that we all want clean air, clean water for our children. We want clean forests. We want to maintain that there's still, you know, conservation of wildlife areas so that people can hunt. You can observe the, the beauty and majesty of what God created. All of these things should be something everybody agrees on. And every conservative I know agrees on this. In fact, you know, it's interesting. The people who scream the most about climate change, they tend to live in these disgusting cities filled with poop on the streets, homeless everywhere, drug paraphernalia all over the place, crime through the roof, no tree in sight. It's a concrete jungle. And then they cry to us about climate change as if we're the ones causing the pollution and the problems when they're the ones who live in the giant cities controlled entirely by Democrats that are filled with trash and feces. Whereas, you know, I live in a conservative area and guess what? It is clean. It is bright green. There is beautiful grass and trees and foliage everywhere you look. And you know what's strange? When you see trash on the side of the road where I live in Tennessee, you know what you tend to also see? You tend to also see a human being that takes responsibility for their community, get out of their car, get off their lazy rear end, go over and pick up the trash, put it in their car, and they take it to either wherever they're going or to their house, and they dispose of it in a trash can. Because that's what sane human beings do. They take care of the area they live in. They take pride in the area they live in. And they don't go blame somebody else for problems within their own community. They help fix it. And that's what Democrats avoid. They want to go and have this argument about climate change. Well, why don't you be the change you want to see? You want to pretend that this is a big problem? Then let's see it from your cities. How about your cities start by cleaning up? How about your cities start by cutting emissions? How about your cities? Stop destroying every piece of natural beauty that it possibly can. You know, you guys are the problem, Democrats. 
If you really care about this stuff, put your money where your mouth is and start treating your areas as well as we treat them in conservative areas. Because guess what? The biggest conservationists that I know who do the most work to conserve our environment, they're conservative conservationists who do it because they care about the animals, even though, ironically, you would call them, you know, you'd probably call PETA over them because, oh no, they hunt animals. Guess what? They eat them. Okay. Again, something the human beings have done for the entirety of human history. So let's get real on this issue. Um, and in fact, you know, speaking of the divorce from reality the Democrats have when it comes to climate change, I want to play you another video. Here is Jane Fonda. And you're not going to believe this. I mean, honestly, it sounds, again, like a skit from Saturday Night Live. And I promise you, I'll never play one of those. So this is a real video. Ready for this? Oh, the climate crisis. The climate, it's not natural. It's not like the glaciers. You're causing it. How are you causing that? Well, Jane Fonda has thought a lot about that topic. And Here's her conclusion. If there were no racism, there'd be no climate crisis. If there was no misogyny, there'd be no climate crisis. It's, a, it's part of a mindset. It's the mindset that looks at a woman and says, nice. In other words, my ex-husband's caused climate change. <laughs> In addition to everything else, it's all about her. If there was no misogyny, there would be no climate crisis. <laughs> if there was no racism, there would be no climate crisis. I have to say, I love Tucker's laugh. It's hilarious. But Jane Fonda, more hilarious. I don't know if she's a comedian now or what, but that was lunacy. Absolutely ridiculous. If there was no misogyny, there'd be no climate crisis. You know, in some weird way, maybe she's right, because if the left didn't invent all of these problems in their head that they create, because they like to invent that like everything's racist, everything's misogynistic, everything is an ist or an ism. Maybe if they didn't have that mindset, maybe they'd also be rational and common sense driven enough to actually admit that, hey, climate has changed for the entirety of human history. And hey, we could be the change makers that we keep pounding the table demanding to see, considering the fact that it's our areas that are the most disgusting and most polluted. And it's run by Democrats. Maybe we need to change something. You know, maybe they could have that come to Jesus moment if they actually stopped acting so insane. Um, speaking of insane, I'm going to jump topics here to another absolutely insane topic. So here we go. Um, we're going to jump right in. I want you guys to watch this video. And I said, this is my commentary on this video is that, you know, this guy, you never went to biology class without saying you never went to biological sex. You say yes. We all know that gender roles are fake, but do not say to a trans person, biologically male, born female, male-bodied. No, 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 no. There is no biological criteria for gender that is both universal and a binary in human beings. Where does that leave us? Free. His name's Jeffrey. His chromosomes are not able to be changed. That's biology. He is a man. Biological reality. They can't accept it. And remember, these are the same people who called us science deniers because we had the audacity to question if the COVID backs was something that really had the efficacy and 
you know, the, the safety profile that they promised. We had the audacity to ask questions about forced masking of children. We had the audacity to ask if all of this social distancing and lockdowns and shutdowns everywhere, if these were really the best path to take when it came to COVID. They called us science deniers, even though we've been proven right on every front. These people are the science deniers, and it's time we call them what they are. They deny science. They deny, they deny biology on a daily, if not hourly basis, if not minute-by-minute basis. And they do it with such commitment and fervor that it's not, it's not simply a joke. This is not just the far left who believe this. This is transmuted itself into the entire Democratic Party. And, you know, look no further than this. I'm about to play you a clip from Rachel Levin, um, who is, again, somebody who was is a biological male. You can't change the chromosomes and has been uplifted into the position uh, that she's at where she's assistant secretary of health and human services. And she has mainstreamed this ideology to give sex changes to kids, give them hormones, give them blockers and puberty blockers rather. And this is what she or, or he had to say um, in this clip. So let's, let's go ahead and play it. And the truth that we need to confront now is that medicine and science are being politically perverted around this country this destroys human lives. And we have reached a tipping point for the role in medicine and civic life for the health and well-being of LGBTQI plus youth and other Americans. Those who attack our community are driven by an agenda of politics. And it has nothing to do with medicine. It has nothing to do with science. It has nothing to do with warmth, empathy, compassion, or understanding. They are rejecting the value of supportive medicine, rejecting well-established science, and simply rejecting basic human compassion. We as doctors and as people who love our communities and love our nation have to confront the, the fact that the language of care and compassion that they're using is being taken to granted to literally tear our communities apart. So we have to stand up. We have to take a stand on behalf of those who are being hurt. That's what we do in medicine, even when it's difficult. So this ideology, the one spouted by the crazy guy from a TikTok video, it's supported by the Biden administration. You know, look no further than Biden recently giving an interview to somebody who has become famous this year because he decided to become a woman and in doing so did a TikTok account where he documented it by doing these weird videos where he goes like, it's day three of being a girl. This is the girl thing I'm doing today. And... Some crazy people ate it up. I mean, I, I don't know who these people are, but some crazy people ate it up and racked up millions and millions and millions of views that that person is now getting multi-million dollar endorsement deals for appropriating what a woman is and really making a caricature of it. And this is what I think is so offensive. Look, I was raised by women mostly. I, I have three sisters, uh, my mom, you know, my grandmas were involved in my life. Uh, my great grandpa was probably the most involved male figure. But I have, you know, two daughters, a very strong wife. I've had strong women in my life for the entirety of my life. And I can tell you without a doubt, a woman is not a, a specific feature. It is not the lipstick they wear. It is not the heels they wear. It's none of those things. But what you notice is that when these people, these men, they decide they want to be women, they make a caricature of a woman and they do it with exaggerated features. They exaggerate everything and they go over the top to try to look like a Barbie version of 
what they believe a woman is. And it's a really grotesque sort of way of reducing what womanhood is down. And you can't bottle up exactly, you know, all these things. But what you know is that that is not a woman. Doing all that you can put on every every piece of makeup, put on the brightest lipstick, put on the highest heels, put on the tightest, whatever it is they want to put on. And that does not make you a woman. Okay. And the delusion that we're selling and that our own administration in this country is backing is a very dangerous one because the moment you deny something as clear and undeniable as biology, very simple biology, that is the moment at which everything is up for question. Every basis of reality is up for question. Nothing is real anymore. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous for there to be no shared reality in a society where things are so fractured, so split that you can't even agree that the sky is blue. Okay. Because believe me, we accept things like this, then we will accept all kinds of lunacy where, oh, you can't, you can't talk about the sky being blue because that's going to offend the people who think the sky is purple and you wouldn't want to offend them because that could come off very bigoted as if you think they're crazy or something. Well, yeah, I, I do actually. I do, I, I do think there's something wrong there if they truly believe that the sky is purple on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, so here's the thing. We've got to stand up for reality. We've got to stand up for the truth. If we don't, then we open this Pandora's box into a world where everything's possible and not in the cute way you tell your kids everything's possible. In the very dangerous, everything is possible, every shred of reality you've come to know and trust will be torn apart by vicious animals reality, okay? That's where we end up. And that's a place I don't want to be. So that's why I'm so committed to always standing up against this lunacy. Um, next story we've got is uh, an interesting one. So let me pull it up for you guys. The... House Democrats have blocked a Republican amendment that would have strengthened religious liberty protections in the Respect for Marriage Act, which, by the way, we could get into the naming of the bill all day long, but a, a bipartisan bill that would require the federal government to recognize all marriages, including same-sex marriages that are legal in a state where they took place. Um, and it goes on to say the House Rules Committee held a hearing Monday on an amendment offered by Chip Roy, love Chip Roy, by the way, that would have prohibited the federal government from retaliating against any individual or organization that opposes same-sex marriage on religious or moral grounds. Committee Chairman Rep. James McGovern from Massachusetts refused to allow Roy's amendment to be advanced to the House floor for a vote. Now, let me explain this to you guys. Chip Roy's amendment did not say uh, gay people can't get married. It didn't say we're repealing whatever, the, you know, the, the bill says. All it says is we need to respect the religious liberty of employers and of uh, people in churches who are not okay with this and who don't want to participate in it. Okay, that's a very fundamental religious freedom in this country. It doesn't matter how you feel about gay marriage. It's just a very clear liberty that should not ever be denied and can't ever be denied. Because again, we go into these fundamental realities, okay? This is a fundamental reality about freedom. You cannot say you believe in freedom or democracy if you don't believe in freedom for somebody who's religious to not be forced into doing something that is in opposition to their you know, very, very strongly held beliefs, okay? That's just, it's not only immoral, 
it, it's anti-liberty, it's anti-freedom to force somebody to do something that violates their faith. And so again, you know, an interesting thing we should bring up is that, and I just wanted to tell that story mainly, there's not really anything we can do about it at the moment. When we get into the majority in January, then maybe there is, and we'll bring the story back. But for now, I think that, you know, the part that w is really important is the fact that we understand who the Democrats are, that, that this has never just been about equality or people having the same right. This has been about imposing their will on you. That's what it's about. It's about taking inch after inch after inch. And then years later, you realize, oh my gosh, they've pushed us 300 feet away from where we were. And so they push and they push. And what have we done? We, we've ran the weakest defense we could possibly run. And we're not pushing for any inches on anything. And that's what has to change in leadership. Our leadership has to be strong and to push and push and push. Oh, wow, we've been pushed 300 feet. And, you know, that's not going to happen with current leadership. So um, next thing I want to show you all that relates to this is that there's a Supreme Court case. You know what? I'm not even going to bore you guys with the clip. It's it's a clip of um, the lady who lies in the White House uh, for a living. You, you know, I know there's a lot of them, but the one who does it as the as the chief spokesperson for the president, the press secretary, she was asked about this Supreme Court case that's up right now. And it's basically somebody wants to force a photographer to uh, go and take part in, a, a, actually, is it a photographer? Let me see here. Or I'm sorry, a web designer to design a website for something they don't agree with because of their faith. And I, I believe it's same-sex marriage. And again, it's the same principle. Okay, the White House is essentially saying, no, we actually have the right to compel people to do things that they don't want to do because of their faith. And no, you, you don't have that right. I mean, this is a very clear constitutional issue that you as a government cannot compel a person to violate their faith. That's, that's just something we can't do. You know, so... I want to make that very clear because this is going to be an issue that comes up again and again and again. And it's why I told you guys in the last episode, my next pre-taped episode coming out later this week is going to be with two pastors, Pastor Rob McCoy and Pastor Clint Mosley, because uh, we need to get to the bottom of how faith is going to be attacked leading into the next election and how we need to use our faith and truly live by our faith when it comes to politics and how involved we need to make our faith in it. I think it's an important subject. Um, it won't be, you know, as much of a, you know, I'll say this, I'll be really honest. Our first episode with Chris Beck is something that a lot of people are going to click, you know, reached over half a million people already. And it's because the story is a very compelling news story that somebody who was used to sell the the trans, you know, propaganda is now turning back and detransitioning. And it's a very prominent case, a very prominent person who was featured um, in this one, you know, maybe won't go as far, but it, it's, it's a very important story. It's a very important episode that I want people to try to share and to get the word out there, especially among fellow Christians, because I think it's very important for us to be on the same page. Um, next thing I want to give you guys an update on something here. Um, this, this video is an important one. I told y'all I'd keep following the China protests. Um, sorry, I'm just finding it to pull it up here. Here it is. So uh, this is an update for today on the China protests. Here's a video, uh, and then I'll be right back in.
So they're going door to door in China. That was a video of them doing it. They're going door to door searching phones now uh, to try to weed out protesters because the protests have not stopped. They're continuing and people are rising up against the communist regime there. And they're they're really doing it in a way we've never seen. And I think that, you know, seeing the regime up their tactics to door to door is definitely an escalation from the government there. It's one that I think everybody expected would happen. But uh, it's amazing it hasn't stopped yet. It actually really is surprising to me. I thought that the Chinese government would really come down and crush these people. But they have fought back. They have been very strong and courageous, knowing what the repercussions will be. And so I just I want to give those people credit for for what they've done and how they've really they've held their own, you know, and they're, they're not they're not taking no for an answer. Speaking of, um, let's bring this story in. Rep. Ralph Norman down in South Carolina, a great guy. He endorsed me in my race, um, but he he came out and said it will be apparent in the coming weeks who the next speaker will be. It's not Kevin McCarthy. Very interesting quote from Ralph because um, he doesn't BS, you know, and so I think that there must be something to what he's saying. I don't have any inside information on this one. I mean, there's a whole lot of rumors going around uh, in terms of what's going on in D.C. I've heard a lot of the rumors. I try not to ever spread rumors and, and just stick to what I know. Um, so when we find out more information, we'll let you know. But I just wanted to give you guys that as sort of an update on what's going on there. It is not a foregone conclusion that McCarthy will be House leader. I do think that there's uh, some tactics that are up for question in terms of how you do it, but um, you got to make sure it's somebody more conservative because if it's not somebody more conservative than McCarthy, then what are we doing? And that's that's really my fear is that we end up with somebody who's even more anti-MAGA, even more anti-America first, and that's dangerous, you know. So I'm I'm hoping that isn't where we end up, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll let it develop. I'm gonna I'm gonna trust the process and hope that we end up with a great result. But um, I want to bring something up because I thought this was very smart um, of Charlie Kirk. So Charlie said, for too long, Republican fundraisers have sent fundraising appeals for candidates who need it, like Herschel Walker, and then used the fine print to divert 99% of the money raised elsewhere. This sort of dishonesty is evil and has to stop. I agree a thousand percent with Charlie and too many people don't know this, that, you know, when you get emails for donations, um, if you feel compelled to donate, go directly to that candidate's website and donate to them. Okay. Do not do it through that email link because chances are this is somebody who's using funnels and all types of things to try to get people to donate. And they probably have some sort of, you know, uh, deal where they're, they're only giving 10% to the candidate. It's, it's one of the biggest, you know, crooked jobs that's going on in DC is the way they run these fundraising apparatuses. And beyond that, you know, it's empowering the establishment because the people who are behind this stuff are establishment people for the most part. And on the flip side of that, you know, another issue we've got is that these same people are also the ones selling themselves as consultants. So I really hope that we get into and lean into a future of political candidates who don't marry themselves to these people. Okay. Because I really think that's one of the big mistakes a lot of candidates make is they trust these people who are supposed to be the experts. Again, we're going to talk about that. I feel like all year long is, is how trust the experts has been something we've done wrong uh, as a country for a long time. I feel like, like I said yesterday, I'll probably say a million more times. 
the smartest people I know are not people who went to Harvard. Okay. I know plenty of people went to Harvard. I know people went to MIT, Yale, so on and so forth. They are not the most intelligent people I know. Most intelligent people I know tend to be people who are farmers. They're, they're, you know, engineers, they're people who do things, you know, they, they do things all day long. They have to think for a living all day long and they're working out problems all day long. And it takes creativity. You have to be a little bit of, you know, a genius in a way to, to be on your toes and fix problems on the fly. And that's something that a lot of these people who go to Harvard, Yale, they, they can't relate to as easily. And I, there's anomalies. There's, there's people who break the mold. But, you know, just in general, I don't put that same value on that Harvard class that some people do, you know. Um, and maybe that's because I did very well in academics. And so I was around a lot of these people who are very, you know, considered very book smart. And um, I have to say a lot of them are really, really stupid people. And I don't say that to be mean. I really don't. But I'm just saying in terms of like, if my life was on the line, who would I call? You know, I would not call any of them, <laughs> you know, except for maybe one who's a surgeon that I know. Um, and that's, that's, you know, if I needed brain surgery, I'd call him. But, you know, if I needed help in any other context, they're not the ones I would call. I would call the people who I know to be the most ingenious and, and, you know, sort of on their toes. And that tends to be people who do not fit that bill of trust the experts. Um, so here's another interesting thing going on. Meta, owner of Facebook and Instagram, they're vowing to boycott U.S. news outlets on Facebook if Democrats-sponsored ad revenue bill is signed into law. So let me explain this. Democrats are trying to slip in uh, to the National Defense Authorization Act something that will force social media companies to then go and pay legacy media companies. I mean, I can't even explain how that works exactly and why, like under what premise. They, they haven't explained this, but it's essentially, I mean, there's no other way to explain it, but some form of weird socialism where you're forcing a company to pay another company. And it's, it's just bizarre, but uh, for once, and you don't hear me say this very often, but for once, I agree with Facebook. Um, I agree with the social media companies for once. This idea that they should be forced and compelled to pay legacy media companies whose numbers are dwindling and whose reach is dwindling in order to prop them up and keep them alive because it's these same legacy media companies that get Democrats elected is crazy to me. You know, um, I'll never understand that. But here's another story, uh, Democrats. Gas stations to protect store in Democrat-run city of Philadelphia. Good for them. You know, I mean, this is the thing. If you're stuck in one of these places, you got to do what you got to do. You got to take care of your business. You got to take care of your family. Do it with a gun. Do it with somebody armed. Make sure you can actually protect what's yours and what you've worked hard for. I don't blame you. And so, you know, as much as that's a sad reality, I'm glad they're taking it into their own hands so they're not a victim. Because if you live in one of these places, it's almost like a ticking time bomb. And so I think this is sadly the future of Democrat cities is people who are stuck there, who have businesses there, they're going to have to protect their own because you can't rely on a city run by Democrats to protect you, period. Because here's the thing. 
you know, you could say, well, there's the police. Well, here's the problem. In these big cities, the wait time on 911 is ridiculous. I mean, by the time you actually get on the line with somebody, you're probably dead if you're in a real life or death situation. And let's pretend you do get them on the phone. You're also dealing with the fact that you have a woke police chief in every one of these cities because the police chief is named by the mayor and the mayor is a Democrat. Okay. Very rare occasion where that's not the case, where say like in Los Angeles County, their county sheriff is elected, you know, so that's how they were able to get one who's not a total lunatic. Uh, but that's, that's what you see. I mean, it's lunacy all around in areas and spaces controlled by Democrats. And here's another example of that. This is a story in Time Magazine, uh, and Time is now controlled by leftists. So Time's headline is, White women must do more to confront racism. White women's quest for perfection makes it impossible to do anti-racism work, writes Sierra Rao and Regina Jackson. If white womanhood is a house, your need to be perfect is the foundation. This is what they're saying. It is this need for perfection that makes it impossible to engage in anti-racism work. White skin, the foundational principle of perfection in a white supremacist society like ours is rooted in whiteness. I mean, how many times can they fit the word white in one article? Without it, your A's will never be straight enough. Your MVP trophy is not shiny enough. Your flowery dress is a bit wilted. Of course, white skin alone, I guess white skin alone something. White skin alone doesn't render you perfect, but without it, you have no chance. White skin is necessary, yet still insufficient ingredient of perfection. The con, of course, is there's no actual recipe for perfection, as there is no such thing as perfection. Being perfect is the key to your happiness, to your success, to your very existence. Perfect hair, perfect clothes, perfect grades, perfect nails, perfect weddings, perfect bodies, perfect adoring and supportive wife and mother, perfect employee and colleague. This, in particular, infuriates white women, us publicly calling you out on your racism, us publicly telling you that you are not perfect. These people are nuts. Okay. They're nuts. But they they control they control the legacy media. You know, and that's that's why we have to shut it down, shut it off, don't listen to it. Okay. I only pull this stuff up to educate people and to spread the truth and make people aware of what's at the heart of all this. And it's they're hateful people. This is pure racism. Okay. I'm Latino. I'm married to a white woman, okay, who's Scottish. Like I I this is this is blatant racism. You say this about any other race. You ran this headline. Look at this headline. White women must do more. It doesn't matter what it says after or before. You put any race in there and you write a headline about that race's women and make a demand for them to do something more, it would be considered racist. But then to litter it with all of that disgusting stuff, you know, these generalities about who people are based on the color of their skin, an immutable characteristic, by the way, I feel like I always have to remind everyone of that. This is something none of us choose. We don't choose our skin color. We don't choose where our parents are born. We don't choose where we're born. We don't choose what our parents do. You know, we're not guilty for the sins of our fathers or our grandfathers or our grandfathers, grandfathers, grandfather, grandfather. None of that is sensible. We're responsible for us, for our decisions, not our skin color. Not our grandparents, not our parents. This is this is a life of personal responsibility. So take responsibility for you. Don't generalize everybody based on immutable characteristics. That seems like a safe rule for life, in my opinion. That's what I teach my children. Don't judge people by immutable characteristics. Judge them by their character, by their actions, by their behaviors. 
So somebody comes up and they're acting creepy, walking creepy at night. Doesn't matter what their skin color is. If they're acting weird, you're trepidatious. You're on guard. You're looking out for your own safety. You know, judge people by the characters and the issues and what you see happen. Action matters. Okay. Not skin color. Okay. Um, and to get drive this point home further, I'm going to play a video. This is a long video, but it's important. This woman is a professor at Rutgers University. I'm going to tell you in advance, I have posted the email address and contact number for the Dean of Rutgers on my Instagram page. So if you go to Instagram, Instagram, Instagram.com slash Robbie Starbuck or search at Robbie Starbuck on there, you'll see the post with her on it. In the description of that post is the email and phone number, okay? Because when you watch this video, you're going to want to make a call or make an email demanding that Rutgers University gets rid of this woman and fires her and holds her accountable for her racism. This is a racist rant she went on about white people, which includes her saying she wishes that she could just get rid of white people. AKA, and she's saying it in the context of like exterminate them. Okay. Imagine being a white student at this school the entire time that you're watching this and ask yourself if you were a white student at this school, do you think you'd be treated fairly by this professor? Let's find out what you think. I think that white people are committed to being villains in the aggregate, right? The real sort of issue here, and I, you know, I've heard people sort of say it is one, I think that white people viscerally fear. It's not that white people don't know right what they have done they know they fear that there is no other way to be human but the way in which they are human which is to so you know like you talk to white people and whenever you, you really want to have a reckoning about it they say stuff like you know it's just human nature if y'all had all of this power you would have done the same thing right and it's like, no, that's what white humans did. White human beings thought there's a world here and we own it. Prior to them, black and brown people have been sailing across oceans, interacting with each other for centuries without total subjugation, domination, and colonialism. We have seen uh, what, a, what a show this iteration of treatment of, of other human beings means and that my hope is that we would do it differently, you know, in the moments when we have some power. We will not do it perfectly, but I do think that all of us can sort of agree that a politics that says like there are superior and inferior human beings just isn't the way to go. And that's the thing that white people don't trust us to do because they are so corrupt. You know, their thinking is so morally and spiritually bankrupt about power that they can't let, you know, they fear viscerally, existentially letting go of power because they cannot imagine that there's another way to be. It is either that you dominate or you are dominated. And isn't it sad that that, that is spiritually who they are and that they can't imagine a sort of more expansive notion of the world. The thing I want to say to you is we got to take these motherfuckers out. But I know, but like, we can't say that, right? We can't say, like, I don't believe in a project of violence. I truly don't. Because I think in the end that our souls suffer from that. And I do think that some of this is a spiritual condition. So here is where I land most days about white people. Um, and I actually have been helped in this by thinking about indigenous people, right? See, part of the challenge of, around whiteness is that it totally skews our view of everything, right? I gave this like TED talk about this some years back. And one of the reasons I was trying to think about it is like, 
the the world didn't start when white people arrived in America and tried to tell all the rest of us how things were going to go. There were people out here making worlds, Africans and indigenous people being brilliant and, you know, libraries and inventions and, you know, vibrant notions of humanity and cross-cultural exchange long before white people showed up being raggedy and violent and terrible and trying to take everything from everybody. And that's really important because if we believe that history starts for us when white people drag us to these shores, then we can never get outside of the notion that this is going to be our existential struggle. All things that begin end. White folks are not infinite and eternal, right? They ain't gonna go on for infinity and infinity. And that's super important to remember that white colonialism and imperialism has a beginning. And in my way of thinking about the world, that means it has an end. And so part of what we are trying to do is to imagine what it, what are the steps that we must take to get to the other side of this very inconvenient you know, epochal interruption of like black and indigenous world making. I mean, does that give people comfort on the day to day when you like just having to deal with white folks and the trap, you know, the travesties that they create and the sense that they want to destroy the planet? Nah, there is a world beyond even our sojourn on the earth. And so whiteness is going to have an end date because it it is not Despite what white people think of themselves, they do not defy the laws of eternity, right? Their projects are not so sophisticated that the natural laws of physics change for them. And when we sort of humble them in the, in humble our own understandings of whiteness, it seems like the biggest giant that we face. But in the end, right, it is what I like to say is, you know, black folks were out here for centuries and centuries and millennia doing all kinds of wonderful things and probably some up things too but whiteness is largely an you know an inconvenient interruption and so we then get to ask ourselves so why am i here in this moment of it like damn you know why did i show up in this particular iteration and it's like well i think we showed up in this iteration precisely so that we could i'm not going to make you all finish listening to her I, I i agree with doug on facebook she must be a real hit at parties this lady is a vile racist but again Imagine that you are a white student in her class watching that video. You think you're going to get a fair shake at anything? The woman is one of, honestly, it's one of the most vile racist rants I've ever heard in my life. Ever. I mean, feel free to comment. Tell me if you've heard anything more racist than that. But she said on one hand that we're inherently evil, basically, uh, and that you know, there's there there's an endness, there's an end date to whiteness. She wishes basically she could exterminate white people. I mean, I don't know how much worse you can get than what she said. It's disgusting in every way. And if anybody said, you know, and I hate I hate having to do the whole imagine if, but no, seriously, imagine if I came up here and I said what she said about any other race. I would never say that because I don't have hate in my heart for people based on immutable characteristics. You know, I'm not going to lie. I do hate some people. I hate I hate evil people. I hate predators. I hate people who hurt children. I hate for a good reason. And that hate is backed by really like the righteousness of, of God. I hate the people and actions that God hates. God hates people who hurt children. He says that very clearly in the Bible. It's very clear that you're better off, you know, tying a millstone around your neck than leading one of his children astray. 
you know, I think that when when you look at these things, it's very clear that there is a poison at the root of the tree of leftism. And if you don't call that out, if you don't acknowledge it, you allow that tree to continue to flourish. You allow that tree to then sow and, and, and become larger and become a forest of trees and become the entirety of what controls your environment. And we can't allow that to happen. We can't live in a forest of poison trees. And so if we want to fix this, we have to confront it. And it's something I've myself gone back and forth, you know, many times because I don't want to watch this stuff. I don't want to be inundated with it. I don't want that to become, you know, the totality of, of my focus in any way. But I recognize the importance of people seeing it. Every once in a while, I'll see a comment that says, Robbie, why don't you just not post this stuff so people don't see it? Well, us not seeing it doesn't make it not exist anymore. There are people consuming this, and it's not just a few people, it's a lot of people. And this is something that is running rampant through higher education. At universities throughout America, this is not unusual. This is becoming the norm. And if we're silent and we say, oh, you know what, we're going to take the backseat approach of not showing people this because it's uncomfortable, it's upsetting, it's something that, that we really don't like to see, then we're just closing our eyes while a crime happens. That's no better than being there at the scene of a crime and leaving because you don't want to take the time to have to talk to the police and, and be a part of the police report. You don't want to potentially put yourself in a situation where your name is attached, or maybe you'll have to be the witness against somebody who killed somebody. You, you don't want that potential danger on yourself, so you skirt doing the right thing. Well, I can't do that. Just personally, my own set of values, I can't skirt doing the right thing. So for those people who ask, Robbie, why do you post these videos? You know, you're just giving them more attention. That's why. Because you skirt doing the right thing long enough, you become complicit in the wrong thing. And so doing the right thing means making people aware of the truth and spreading the truth so that people see this for what it is. Because the truth is, I know everybody watching right now probably sees very clearly why this is wrong. But guess what? There's a lot of young people who don't. There's people who watch my channels and my social media, and they don't agree with me 100% of the time. In fact, some of them start out as Democrats and end up flipped. I can't tell you the number of people, it's immense, the number of people who reach out, starting out as Democrats, starting out as young you know, liberals in their minds, and they end up conservative. And it's by virtue of having the truth exposed to them, by hearing the explanations, by hearing the conversations, and that's all it takes. That's why I'm a big believer in free speech for a number of reasons. But one of the principal ones is that I believe when you have more speech, when you hear the issues debated, when it's all out in an open forum, we don't need to do any extra work. We don't need a marketing arm. We just need the truth. And that's what we have on our side. And that's a beautiful thing. When you have the truth on your side, you want free speech. You want the open exchange of ideas because people will be led to your viewpoint by virtue of the fact that you don't fear the other side coming and explaining what they believe. They fear you being allowed to say what you believe because they know the end result is them losing. And in this fear and battle of ideas, 
that means losing voters, losing supporters. And that's exactly what we've seen happen is people who truly have an open mind who are on the opposing side. I mean, I can't tell you the number of them who have switched sides because of us exposing the truth on these things. So that's why it's important to share. Um, there's one more issue I'm going to play for you guys today, and then we're going to be done. This is an important one, though. Uh, feel free. Again, I always remind you guys, feel free to record, screen grab anything from the show and post it on your social media. Share the show. That's how we spread the truth. That's how we grow the show. And um, we're going to have a really special episode next week. I'm very excited about it. And, you know, uh, we'll continue, you know, obviously live show and everything, but you guys are what keep it growing. You're what keeps it going. You're the reason why I'm doing this. So continue to share, continue to grow it. And we're going to get a lot of great things done because of it. But here's the last thing of the day. This is a woman named Catherine Lowe. Okay. Catherine Lowe is an executive at the American Academy of Pediatrics. To be very clear before we play the video, for a long time now, myself and people like Libs of TikTok, Matt Walsh, my wife Landon Starbuck, and others, we have spoken up about the fact that the hormone block or the puberty blockers and then the follow-up hormones that they're giving these kids under the auspices of changing their sex are causing kids to be sterilized and infertile. For a very long time, the response to that from the media, from the medical apparatus, from pretty much the entire you know popular culture at large that the left would like you to believe is truly popular, the response to us was, you're all wrong, you're lying, this is misinformation, you're science deniers, this is safe, it's effective. I mean, when have they ever been wrong about safe and effective? Um, but that's what they were pushing on us. Well, here is Catherine Lowe in what she thought was a secret you know, video where they're talking to one another. And this is what she had to say about puberty blockers and the hormone follow-up for these kids. Um, the big thing is here that infertility concerns with um, starting gender-affirming hormone therapy. So for kids who go on a blocker at Tanner stage two, and then they add in gender-affirming hormone therapy. Um, there isn't a lot of research about this out there, but what we do know is these kids probably will be infertile. Um, there it is. These kids will probably be infertile. Okay. That's it straight from the horse's mouth from the executive at the Academy uh, of American Pediatrics. Okay. So... There's no denying we were correct again, and we don't need in, I told you so. We just need people to stop abusing children. That's all we ask. Stop abusing children. That doesn't seem like a really crazy request. It seems like common sense again, but that's sort of the thread here. That's the common thread. That's the common theme we see is a denial of common sense from the Democratic Party, from the left, from every apparatus they control, from the medical industrial complex corporations in America decided to go woke. A denial of common sense. So that's what we're going to fight for. We're going to fight for common sense. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back soon. We've got great shows coming up this week. We're going to have the pre-tape one with Pastor Clint Mosley and Pastor Rob McCoy from Godspeak. Um, we're going to dive into the deep stuff when it comes to separation of church and state, government, and the place of Christianity in government, the issues within the Christian church right now, and some of these mega churches. We're going to dive into all of it. It's going to be a great show. And then the following week is going to be extra special, I think very emotional. It's going to be one 
that I would say will probably be our biggest episode yet in terms of how far and wide it goes, because I think it's just going to be incredibly compelling to people. Um, so I'm not going to I'm not going to leak out too many details about it yet because we're still in the process of making it. But once things are more together, I'll give you guys a little bit of hint of what's going on. But I'll play us out today with um, a trailer from our first episode. If you haven't seen it, our first pre-tape episode, I'm going to play that. If you haven't seen it yet, if you watch the trailer and want to see it, go to rumble.com, search Robbie Starbuck, or go to rumble.com slash Robbie Starbuck, and go ahead and watch it there. The Chris Beck trailer is coming up. Institutional. So you may or may not have seen in 2013 an interview with a Navy SEAL, Chris Beck. He came out as a transgender Navy SEAL. But why we're here today is because of everything happening in America with this transition craze that's going on with kids. You have something that you want to tell the world. What is that? Everything you see on CNN with my face, do not even believe a word of it. Everything that happened to me for the last 10 years, they destroyed my life. I destroyed my life. I'm not a victim. I did it to myself, but I had some help. Transgender ideology is, is cultish and it's not science-based at all. They take that desire, that innate human desire to want to change and to want to help people, and they use it, just like a cult leader would. And the parents are so desperate to fit in with this ideology because of the fear of the us-them. They don't want to be othered. So now they're using the children as these trophies of like, look at me, I have a child that I'm accepting of.